<clears throat> Thank you, Michael and worship team, for that great time of um, worship to our Lord and Savior this morning. If you would please join me um, in the book of Ephesians. The last few times that I've been able to speak, um, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter number five, and we've looked at a couple things. Um, just before we um, look at some of these things, um, there's some outlines. If you were unable to get an outline, there's some outlines in the back on the sound booth that you're welcome to look and follow along, and um, there's some fill-ins on there. That way, if I get out of sorts, you're not out of sorts. <laughs> um, so this morning, we're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians chapter 5. I want to look at just a couple things before we get into our text this morning. Um, Ephesians chapter 8, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, we'll be looking at this morning. A couple things to make note of in the book of Ephesians, a couple themes that are running throughout that we're going to also see in our text this morning. The first thing that we see running throughout the book of Ephesians is, um, is the theme of uh, the, first three, the first three chapters are theological. They're going to show us what Christ has done for us and what we are to believe about Christ doing that for us. And then the last three chapters, chapters four through six, which we'll be in this morning, they're gonna be practical. Because we, believe of, because we believe what Christ has done for us and what we are to believe in the first three chapters, now what do we do about it? How do we live our lives according to what we learned in the first three chapters? And a couple of things that we learn in the first three chapters, a couple of themes that run throughout are number one, we see the old self. We were one way. We were sinners. We were forsaken. We were enemies of God. But then there's a huge conjunction in there and says, but God has now done this for us. He has died for us. He has made us new. And so we see this theme running throughout the book of the old self becoming new and the old self living one way and the new self living another way. And so we'll look at that um, deeper this morning. Another theme that we see running throughout the book is the theme of the unity of believers. Us this morning in this, um, in this church it's not about the building that we're in. It's not about the church. It's about the body of believers, the unity of each one of us being in Christ and being here in fellowship together as Jesus being our Father in heaven. And so we see this unity running throughout the book as well. And then the final one that we're going to really focus on this morning is to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. If you look at verse Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we see the first part of our practical section. What are we supposed to do because we've, because we've learned all of these things of Christ and what he's done for us? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so this morning, as we go through our text in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to find out how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we as believers have been called to. So if you would, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to briefly look at a couple of these things. You might remember 
the last couple times that I've preached, although it's been sporadic. Um, we've been working through this text of Ephesians chapter 5, and I know some of you may not have been here, so just briefly, we're going to review um, the, the previous sections because they work right into our section. The main thing on, in Ephesians chapter 5, as we see in the first verse, what is the greatest calling of a believer? And you can see on your outline this morning, that is the, the title. What is the greatest calling of a believer? And the greatest calling of a believer is found in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. So we talk through being an imitator of God. What does being an imitator of God look like? The first thing we looked at is some de- several different types of love. Is it a brotherly love or is it a godly love? Is it a love that is seen through emotions? Is it a love where I feel sometimes and I don't feel sometimes? It is, a lo- is it a love that can ever end? Or is it a love that lasts forever? Is it a love that Christ showed us when he died on the cross for our sins while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8? And we learned that that's the type of love that we as believers are supposed to have. We are called to, number one, walk in love. Christ is the greatest example of this love. In John 15, 12 through 13, he calls us to, to love. He says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Not as you have loved, not in this emotional state, but in a type of love that is dying for the other person. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. As I mentioned earlier, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. That's what we're called to do. But how do we do that? Number one, we walk in love. Number two, we looked last, um, last time I was up here, we looked at walk in light. We can look at verse 8. Verse 8, for at one time you were in darkness. Excuse me, this is important. For at one time you were darkness. We were darkness. Not that we were in darkness, but we were darkness. Our whole being, our whole flesh, we were darkness. And we're going to need to know that this morning. But, huge word there. But now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And we looked at what walking in light means. And we looked at, um, I, think, I believe this was at, right after September 11th. And we were remembering the, the Twin Towers and the destruction that came from the Twin Towers. And now we can look at those towers every year and we can see the remembrance lights that are shining bright and seen for miles and miles around for everyone to see. And how we should be that light just like those are to be a remembrance of the towers, we should be the light that everyone can see for miles and miles away of Christ. And we should be imitating and following Christ. Ephesians 5.8, like we just read, we were once darkness. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We look around our world today and we see, many, we see much evil. Evil's all around. And we look at flesh and blood and we see the evil being shown through us and be, being shown through others who are not believers, who have not been redeemed by God. But this says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not our flesh, it's not our blood, it's the spirit behind it. Is it evil, is it darkness, or is it light, is it Christ? 1 John 1, 5 through 7, this is the, me- the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. For we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. These are the things that we are called to do this morning to imitate God. And as we work through the third thing this morning, we will learn to walk in wisdom. Will you bow with me in prayer as we open our service this morning? Lord in heaven, we're so grateful and thankful to be in your house this morning, to be gathered together as a body of believers, to be studying your word and learning and being doers of your word and not only hearers, Lord. I pray that you would just guide us this morning. Allow me to speak the words that you've given that you would open the hearts and minds of all of us this morning, that we would learn, that we would grow in our relationship with you, that, Lord, we have looked at how to love, and the greatest example of love is your son coming to die for us, and we've looked at how to be a light in the world, in the present darkness, and, Lord, we look at your son to show us this. And, Lord, as we work through our text this morning, I pray that you would just allow us to see what true divine wisdom is given by you alone. And Lord, I pray that we would have that wisdom, that we would ask for it, that we would seek it every day, that we would read your word because we know, Lord, that you are the giver of all wisdom. Lord, we pray um, all these things in your name. Amen. 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28. Two prostitutes come into the king's court, and they come in, and one claims, Lord, talking to Solomon, Lord, I have, I have born a child a few evenings ago, and when I bore it, three nights later, this other lady, we're living in the same house, this other lady has a child, and one of the children dies And the other lady laid her dead child by my side and took my child and laid it beside her. What shall we do? For the child is mine. But of course, the other lady claiming it's hers. So in Solomon's great wisdom that he's received from the Lord, Solomon claims, guard, bring me your sword. And he brings him his sword. And Solomon then claims, Bring the baby to me so that we may divide him into two, and then each lady will get half of the baby. 
And of course, the lady whose baby it was hers claims, no, please do not give the baby to the other lady for I want the baby to live. I want my son to live. And being in his great wisdom that God had given him, Solomon declared the baby to be the ladies that spoke out. And it says this in the final two verses in that passage. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death, for she is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Many times in the scripture, we see great wisdom being shown in stories. We see great wisdom in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they decline to bow down to the idol and thus are put into the fiery furnace and they should have perished. But because they showed great wisdom, because they showed the wisdom of God, God spared their lives and he honored them. He gave them many blessings. And in Solomon's life, in his early days, when he was discerning, when he was wise, when he was using the wisdom of the Lord that he had asked for, you might remember that Solomon was given to Samuel, the prophet Samuel, and he asked God for wisdom and God said, because you have asked for wisdom, I will grant you many other things as well as wisdom. And the Bible says that Solomon was the wisest king in all of the land. And so this morning, as we look at our text in chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, we're going to see the, the wisdom that we're called to have. This wisdom that Solomon had, not to only know right from wrong, but to know the gray, to know right and wrong, and to know and to make the right decisions. And so this morning, let's, um, if you would please turn with me to verse 15, we're going to read through our text as we walk through this passage. Verse 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This morning, as we look at our third thing, we need to walk in wisdom. What is wisdom as defined in the Bible? I, I got this definition from a couple different sources and I kind of put them together. But I want us to really focus on a couple things. Webster's Dictionary I, like to, I always like to go to the secular source to see what they have to say because it's very interesting that many of the biblical words that we find in the Bible are actually very um, in-depth, in even in something as secular as the Webster's Dictionary. So I want you to listen to this. The first part is from Webster's, and the other parts are from um, some other resources. Wisdom, what is it? 
It is the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships. It is a moral rather than intellectual quality. It is given by only God to only his children. So I want you to notice in that text, it's not about making choices. It's not about something that we do outwardly. It's about an inner quality. It's about a moral quality, knowing what is morally right and morally wrong as seen in the scripture. And how do we know what we how do we know what is morally right and what is morally wrong? We know Christ because God is the giver of all wisdom and we have his words in our scripture this morning. And so let's look at some some of the things that he says about walking in wisdom. Proverbs 6 verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Proverbs 8:33. Hear instruction and be wise and do not de- neglect it. Matthew 10:16. Behold, I am sending you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocents, innocent as doves. Romans 16, verse 19. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. We are called to know wisdom. We are called to be wise. As we see in Matthew 10, 16, I am sending you out as sheep amidst wolves. Be wise. We look at our world today and we see a lot of wolves. We see a lot of foolish people. We see a lot of opinions, a lot of selfishness, a lot of things that as a believer we are called to run from and to be away from. And so we are called to be wise as Christ has been wise and as Christ has shown us and has told us to be wise. Some of the attributes that we see in the book of Proverbs of wisdom. Wisdom in James chapter 3, verse 17 is pure. It's peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful. It produces good fruit. In Proverbs 1 and and chapter 13, 1, it seeks instruction. Proverbs 13, it guards his mouth. It is not quick to speak, but is quick to listen. Proverbs 11, verse 2, and James 3, 13, wisdom is humble. Proverbs 14, verse 29, wisdom is patient. Wisdom leans on Lord's wisdom and not on our own understanding and our own wisdom. The wisdom that we have is fleshly. The wisdom that we think is seen in our flesh and seen as a human in our sinful nature. The only wisdom that is perfect comes from above. Proverbs 13, verse 20, it seeks Wisdom seeks other wise friends. Proverbs 13, 20 talks about us, if we, even the foolish, if they hang out and they become friends with wise, will become wise. The people we hang out with, as the body of Christ, we see this in Ephesians, as I said earlier, the body of Christ being unified in the Christ, it is important for us to be unified. It is important for us to be as a body because we gain wisdom from being together. We gain wisdom from reading God's word. We gain wisdom from being with his family. The last thing 
this, um, the last thing in the attributes. Wisdom fears God, not man. We see God in everything that we do as believers, and we see God working in everything. As a believer, he has created everything. He provides everything that we have. And so we fear the God who is ruler of all, who is almighty creator, who is sovereign over everything that happens in this world because what can man do to us that God is not sovereign over, that he doesn't have a plan and his sovereign will is not done. Your first thing this morning, your first fill-in as we look at wisdom. Number one, wisdom is found. Wisdom is found in two things. Wisdom is found in number one, wisdom is found in God alone. We cannot find wisdom in things of this world. We cannot find true godly wisdom in other people. We find true wisdom in God alone. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says this, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We don't have wisdom. We don't have understanding without God's words. And he has given us everything that is sufficient to understanding what true understanding, what true knowledge is in his words that he has given us, which we're reading today, being imitators of Christ, walking in wisdom, being, wis- being wise as a believer. James three seventeen, but the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Not the wisdom from us, not the wisdom from theologians, not the wisdom from scientists, not the wisdom from the government, not the wisdom from anything earthly. The wisdom from above are these things. That is where we look for our spiritual wisdom. We see if we have true wisdom, we will know good fruits and we will work the good fruits and do the good fruits. And we see those fruits in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. For the fruits of the Spirit are, and we read on, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Uh, I know I forgot a few, but self-control against such is no law. Against such is no law. We do the good fruits. So where is wisdom found? It's found in God alone. Number two, the second thing, wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord. This morning, all of us have probably heard Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When we fear God, and this is not a fear as in a scared, this is a fear as a respectful fear. We think of, um, we think of our kids. I, I can now think of my kid. Okay? And one day I hope that they will be like this as well. When I think of fear, I don't, think, I don't want my daughter to be scared of me, but I want my daughter to understand and to respect me. 
and to respect that I am following Christ in his word. And as parents and as children, which we were all were, once were, we look at this and we respect our authorities. We respect those in authority over us. While we may not be scared of them and what they can do to us, we respect them, we honor them, and we obey them. The Lord is to be feared. He is to be honored. He is to be respected as Lord, as creator, as sovereign, and as planner of everything. He controls and he um, designs each one of our lives to be glorifying to him. Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. The fear of the Lord is not only living in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is not only knowing what's right and doing what's right. The fear of the Lord is hating evil. We hate the evil that is being done because God hates evil and he can't have anything to do with the evil, pride and arrogance, foolishness. It's selfish. Pride and arrogance, both of those are pointing to self, what we do, what we um, desire. Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. As we have biblical wisdom, we should hold fast to what is good. We should hold fast to God's word and what he gives us in the scriptures, and we should abhor, we should hate what is evil. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27, in the, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn from the snares of death. Having wisdom, fearing the Lord is not just a spiritual thing. It has physical benefits. It has these benefits. We will have refuge the fear of the Lord, if we fear the Lord, we have nothing else to fear because the Lord is sovereign. He plans, he controls all that happens and we have nothing else to fear. We have nothing, Matthew chapter five, I believe, talks about being anxious, being stressed, not trusting God and not fearing the Lord. If we fear man, if we trust in ourselves, we have a lot to fear. We have a lot to be anxious about. But if we fear God and we know that God is in control of all, there is nothing to fear except for God himself. And it's a respectful fear because we know that he is sovereign, that he plans everything. Proverbs fifteen sixteen and 33, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure and trouble with it. Verse 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 19, verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not visit by harm. And then the last one, Matthew 10, verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Why do we fear man? Why do I worry when I go out and I start to share the gospel with someone? Why do I worry when a man comes and mocks 
or a man comes and puts me through trials, why do I worry? Why do I fear? Why am I anxious about these things? Because it says here, the only thing that man can do is harm the body. But that's not, if we believe that the body is it, then folks, we have no hope. But because we believe that there is more, that there is a soul, that there is heaven, that there is God, that God rose on the third day to save us and to give us the opportunity to believe in him, we have nothing to fear but God. And the fear of God is love and respect towards him. He is the only one who has control of our soul. Isn't that comforting this morning? Number two, we looked at wisdom is found. Wisdom is found in God alone, and wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord. Number two, wisdom is not foolish. Wisdom is not foolish. We see in our text this morning, verse uh, 16, make the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Wisdom is not foolish. What does it mean to be foolish? I found these. I did the same thing that I did with um, the definition for wisdom. And I want you to listen to this. The first part, like I said earlier, is from Webster's Dictionary. And I want you to listen to what it says. A fool is a person lacking judgment, shamelessly immoral, and it's separated from God. A fool is is separated from God. They are shamelessly immoral. They do not have any, um, anything from Christ. Psalm 14, verse one says this about the fool. To the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Romans 1, 21 and 22, as Michael read this morning, for although they knew God, Romans 1, talking about how everyone, we have the evidence all around us of a God who created everything in that he's, he's, it's easy to see. And we can go back to Romans 1. It's easy to see. But even though they knew God, they did not believe God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They were wise in their own eyes. They looked at all of the evidence around them and they made the decision, there is no God. Even though deep down, they know that there's a God. As we see in the book of Romans chapter one. They do not honor God and they became wise in their own eyes. This is one of the attributes of the, few, of the fool. They became wise in their own eyes. They despise instruction. Their lips lead to fights and to ruin. They trust in themselves for everything, which is why we have, we have fear of man. When we trust ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, I make mistakes and if I trust myself, if I trusted myself to, to fix this sermon this morning, 
it would not be good. It's, it may not still be good, but I pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks through me and that he's the good that comes out and that he's the good that comes out of the scriptures. And so this morning, we should not trust in ourselves because God is the giver of all and God provides us with true wisdom from his scriptures. Proverbs 26, 19 a fool is deceptive in everything that they do. And it, specifically in Proverbs 26, verse 19, it's talking about being deceptive to a neighbor. Who is closer than a neighbor? As talked about in the Bible, love your neighbor as yourself. A neighbor is anyone. You are our neighbors. You are neighbors in Christ. A neighbor, they are deceptive to even their closest neighbors. Everything about them is evil. Proverbs 10, verse 23, wrongdoing is seen as a joke. Everything that's done, every evil deed, everything that we joke about, it's seen as a joke. It's a big one in our culture this, today. We see everything as being laughable. We see everything as being joke, jokeable. We see everything as being lighthearted. Proverbs 29, verse 11, they're quick to temper and rage. In Proverbs 14, verse 3, they are selfish and prideful. I would say this this morning, that the root of foolishness is what I said, the last thing in Proverbs 14, verse 3, is selfishness and pride. We are the root of foolishness. Flesh, when we live in our flesh, we become foolish because we are in our sinful nature as humans. But when we look to Christ, he gives us true wisdom. Next. Wisdom is not foolish. Some things in our text that tell us that wisdom is not foolish. Number, number one, or letter A. We are given over to flesh through drunkenness. You can see in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. When we get drunk, and I'm gonna tell you this as well, not only when we get drunk, but there are many things in the world today that we can be given over to that impair our thinking, that impair our spirit-filled lives. The reason he talks about drunkenness now is because when we get, when we are drunk, when we are impaired in any way, we are giving ourselves over to our flesh. We are no longer in our right mind. We are no longer living as children of God because the Spirit is no longer speaking through us, but we are giving ourselves over to the flesh so that the flesh can make decisions. As a believer, we should never give ourselves over to the flesh because as a believer, as a Christian, we follow Christ and we need Christ's guidance and we need the Holy Spirit to fill us and to guide us in everything that we do. And the minute that we turn from Christ, the minute that we turn and we start to listen to our own wisdom and our own selfishness and our own thoughts and our own sinful ways. We lose focus 
and we start to fall. But God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And he is faithful to forgive us and to bring us back every single time. And we're so grateful for that this morning. So, the given over to flesh through drunkenness. Galatians, or excuse me, Romans 13, verses 13 through 14 say this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. In no way should we look to our own wisdom. In no way should we ever look to our own abilities, but look to God and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ talks to the people that he was um, speaking to and he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your left eye causes you to, to sin, pluck it out. Now, maybe some of us this morning, we don't take that as being literal, but I will say this, that if, even if it is not literal, God is very serious about sin. And that's what he shows us by saying those things. And so this morning, because our God takes sin very seriously, and it is not a light thing, we, as imitators of God, as imitators of Christ, should take sin very seriously, which is what the fool does not do. It jokes about wrongdoing. It jokes about being foolish and, being, and making crude jokes. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of our own doing, but is the gift of God. It is a free gift of salvation, but everything free, somebody has to pay. And Christ paid for us so that we can have the free gift of salvation through him. We are not our own. Christ, we owe our lives to Christ. When we get saved and when he does that for us, he is living within us and we are now a temple of his Holy Spirit and we are to live as such. We are to live as such. So, letter A, giving given over to flesh through drunkenness. Letter B, what else does a fool do? What else is, is wisdom not in foolishness? Foolishness is living our lives apart or far from God in abominations. Psalm 14.1, as I read earlier, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Leviticus 18.22, we see God's true character, what, tr- what God truly focuses on when it comes to sin. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a, as a, with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. 
They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. You may be asking this morning, why read those texts? Why read those passages of scripture and not others? Because there are many, many others that talk about the foolishness and living apart in abomination to God as the foolish man does. But this morning as we sit here in this church in a free country where we are able to speak, I am able to speak on anything from the pulpit this morning, our brothers and sisters in Canada are not. We learned this week or a few weeks ago, we received an, uh, a letter from um, a pastor in Canada. His name is Andrew De Bartolo, and he says this in the letter. And once I, I pick and chose a couple things, and I'm just going to read to you some of the things that he says. Canada is passing a law, a bill, and he says this about the bill. Bill C-4 will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversational therapy. It will criminalize, among other things, causing another person to undergo conversational therapy, promoting or advertising conversation therapy. In the preamble of the bill, it says that the belief that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are, do, are to be preferred over other sexual orienta- orientations. Gender identities and gender expressions is a myth. The belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will now be seen as a myth. The bill defines conversation therapy as this, a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Our world is getting evil. It is getting more evil by the second. And now we see our brothers and sisters just a few hundred miles away are no longer allowed to preach. Let me rephrase that. Government lawfully, they are no longer allowed to preach the gospel of Christ, what is taught in the scripture as being wrong. And let me tell you this, we are not far from that here in America. It will come a day when there will be trials and temptations that hit our church, that hit other believers in our country. We, see, we saw it a few months ago when the Christians in Afghanistan, and we look at them, and we look at them and we glorify God and we pray to God, and we ask for his will to be done. But they're giving their lives for the gospel. And now, our pastors and our, and our um, brothers and sisters in Christ in Canada are doing the same. And today, the reason I mention this, the reason it was so important to talk about this, is because today, they all agreed that they were going to preach on biblical morality even though it was against the law. Because according to Christ, 
we are not from this world. We don't abide by the laws of this world. We abide by God's law. And while he has said that we should obey the laws given to us from our government, he is first. He is Alpha and Omega. We obey God first and others second. And so this morning, as we sit here this morning and we talk about these things, we need to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries, not only in Canada, but in all around the world where there's persecution going on, when they are hurting, but they're standing up for what's right. And I pray this morning that when we enter this area, when we enter into that realm, that we would stand firm on the gospel, that we would be wise in God's eyes, that we would have a biblical wisdom from God and we would stand firm on the gospel of Christ. The government, people in general, are foolish. But with God, we can have true wisdom and we can make wise choices. The last thing this morning, we looked at wisdom is found in God alone. Wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord. We looked at wisdom is not foolish. It's not foolish to giving ourselves over to drunkenness. It's not foolish in living our lives apart from God. So what is wisdom as seen in this text this morning? Wisdom is being filled with the Spirit. Wisdom is being filled with the Spirit. Because wisdom, true biblical wisdom, cannot come from us. It has to come from God. Number one, underneath wisdom is being filled. It is being urgent with our time. James 4, verses 13 through 15 say this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, say this, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I appreciated Zach and the worship team this morning for singing those songs. And it was, it was God ordained that he sung the last song, not knowing what I was speaking on this morning. But the words in the first verse say this, mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him. I look for worldly, worldly treasures and forsake the king of kings. Fear is gone and hope is new. We no longer have fear when we're with Christ. We no longer have fear when we're with God except for the fear of God and the respect we have for him. Our days are numbered. We will not be here forever. The days, every day we grow closer to the day when the Lord returns. And we look forward to that day, but we have to be ready. We have to be prepared. Be urgent with our time. Be smart, be disciplined I'll give you this example. If we're all running a marathon together, we are, the marathon of life, right? We're all running a marathon together. And if we knew, if some of us knew that at the end of that marathon, there was a million dollars waiting if you completed the marathon the right way, all of us would run the marathon as well as possible to go and get that prize at the end. But if someone did not know 
the prize that was waiting for them at the end, why run the race? Because there's really no reason to run marathons, right? (laughs) Why run the race? There's no hope at the end. It's not doing much for me. Why not run a shorter race? Why not run the race how I want to and just walk the whole thing, take a few days and do it? But if we know that the prize is at the end of the race, we will live our lives and we will do exactly what we have to to get the prize at the end. Listen, we as believers, we know the prize at the end. We are living our lives and we know the prize at the end of our race. There are people out there, millions of people out there that have no idea the prize that's at the end of the race if they run the race the right way, if they choose to accept God and they choose to honor him in everything that they do and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our job. We are to live urgently. We are to be ready in every circumstance. Number two, number two, understanding the will of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? In the end, when we have biblical wisdom, we know the will of the Lord because we will be in his word. We will be studying his word. We will be in a personal relationship with him and he will share with us. But as we see in our passage, number letter A, as you can see, it's already filled out for you. Being imitators of Christ. It's what we're looking at this morning. Being imitators of Christ by walking with him, by walking in love, by walking in light, by walking in wisdom. Letter B, addressing each other in psalms and hymns and in your heart. We are to be joyful. Be joyful always, for we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to hide. We have nothing to, we have no no one can do anything to us. For what can man do? For God is in control of everything. Many psalms that talk about this. We're not going to read those this morning. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We see all of these things in the Bible. Rejoice always because God is our king. God is our savior. And he's in control of everything. He's in control of the government. He's in control of what's happening in Canada. He's in control of what's happening in Afghanistan. And they're being tested, but they're standing firm on his word. They are being wise because God is giving them biblical wisdom. Letter C, giving thanks always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. For you, this is the will of God to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in every circumstance. We should give thanks to Christ for testing us, for trying us, and we should give him thanks. Colossians three seventeen. and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God our Father through him. And finally this morning, what is the will of, the, what is the will of God? First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says this. 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The foolish walk in those things. The wise are sanctified. And so this morning, the last thing, the will of God is our salvation and our perfection. The will of God is for us to be justified by faith, through faith alone. Only faith in God can save us. And when we are saved, we are then sanctified. We are being made perfect. As we grow in Christ, we become more and more like him. We grow wiser and wiser as we spend time in his word, as we grow closer with him. Titus 3 verse 3 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hated, hating one another. Romans 12, 2, we were once slaves. We were once foolish. Everyone is foolish. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is, the true, what is the will of God? Don't be, trans, don't be conformed to the world. Be apart from it. Be the light that can be seen for many, many miles and that everybody can see. Two more verses, and I'll close with these. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, the gospel. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And what must we do to be saved? What must we do to get this biblical wisdom? Paul and Silas, Acts 16, verse 30 and 31. The jailer said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Let's pray this morning. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning, to hear from your word to hear and to learn about biblical wisdom, to be imitators of you, to not look to ourselves in the foolish way of thinking, in the selfish way of thinking, but to look to you in everything that we do, to look to you in everything that happens. No matter what happens, Lord, we are not fearful of what man can do to us because they are only in control of the flesh, the body, but you are in control of both the soul, and the body. And Lord, we thank you so much for that this morning. I pray that you would just allow us to take what you've taught us this morning and to take it and to live according to your word and according to your wisdom. And Lord, I pray that we would walk in love, that we would walk in your light, and that we would walk in your wisdom, and that we would look to you because you are the perfect example for all of these. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us a good week. Help us to face trials and temptations with all joy and in thankfulness. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.